Well, we're back in John 17. Uh, basically, I had a, one of those uh, two-part sermons. You couldn't squeeze it all into one. So we're um, going to look. I just want to read a couple of verses. We'll actually go through more than this. But uh, John 17, 14 through 19. We'll stand in our God's honor. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we beg, we plead, that through your holy word you may speak. We need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. experimental prototype community of tomorrow you guys have heard of that place you probably know it as epcot uh down in disney world epcot was of course walt disney's vision it was his dream of course we know it now as a theme park that wasn't walt disney's intention he actually wanted epcot to be a city of 20,000 people who were able to live with the latest technological innovations. But once Walt was uh, gone, there was no one to carry on the vision of Epcot. And so it became a theme park, you know, a place to go and enjoy, but far less than it was meant to be. I sometimes wonder if the church has become more of an Epcot, an experimental prototype, you know, community of tomorrow for, for us. The problem is, whose vision, you know? Uh, this place was not what it was originally intended to be, this Epcot, this experimental prototype. Why? Because others besides the true creator got involved. And it just became a place to spend some money and enjoy being with family. So the question is with the church. Who are we? What is the church? And we looked at last week from this prayer of Jesus Christ. Two purposes that he has for the church. He has for us. One is to glorify him, to see God's glory and to demonstrate God's glory. And then we talked about the communication of his word. We, we want to be more than just a place to come and feel good and to leave. And so today we're going to look at the last two uh, I want to touch on from this prayer as I finish this, ended up being a three-part uh, message on the church. This time we're going to look at... Uh, Two more important parts of being the church. And today we're going to look at 
the call to infiltrate the world is the first one. Uh, let's go back. Verse 14, I want to read down through 17 again. Jesus is praying to the Father. I've given them your word. <laughs> and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then in the next verse, <laughs> he said, Jesus says, Father, you sent me to this world for a specific reason, a specific mission. And so I am sending them out into the world. Uh, the, the very word sent, it's, it's from the word we get our word apostle, which means one who is sent. And, and so we're not called just to come. Man, it's great that we come and that we fill up upon the truth of God and that we worship and exalt him. But it doesn't stay there. We're called to go out. We're called to be apostles. We're called to go out with specific tasks. And so what is that task? Well, I want to show you the heart of Jesus as I move on. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We get a picture of the heart of Jesus. This has to do with infiltration of the world. Starting at verse 36 of Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus went up on a hill and he looked out. He saw the crowd. And he was moved. Why? Because he saw them. Man, we pass people every day. I know I'm guilty of this. And uh, I glance at them, but I don't see them. Jesus saw them. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were broken. And the key for Jesus is he didn't just see the crowd. He saw people in the crowd. It wasn't about the many. It was about those in the many. He saw one at a time. You see, people don't come to Christ a hundred at a time. They come and they are changed and they are transformed one at a time. And, and what happens? J Jesus brings many into the fold, but they come one at a time. And our call is, we all, you know, we talk, we're going to win the, you know, the, the loss, what, billions of people, three billion, whatever. But the truth is, they come one at a time. And the truth is, God gives us specific assignments. And God has placed us in certain places. And, and God has given us those appointments so that we can be sent out for that purpose, for that person he has for us to meet, for that person he has for us to build a bridge with. Uh, turn me to uh, John chapter 4. There's an example of this. Uh, 
in infiltrating the world that uh, <laughs> it was Jesus, man. You, we're supposed to follow his example, right? <laughs> uh, he, he starts out in, in chapter 4. You're familiar with this. It's got a, a woman in there, goes to a well. Uh, we call it a woman at the well, right? Uh, it starts out, the Pharisees heard Jesus was gaining and baptizing more than disciples than John. John was this firebrand preacher. Man, he said it. Didn't care if he hurt your feelings. You needed to hear it. And he blasted it out there. And people were coming and they were convicted. And they were saying, I got to change my ways. And, and they were baptized. But more people were coming to hear Jesus than were coming to hear John. There was something special about Jesus as he spoke, and the Pharisees were jealous. And, and they heard about what Jesus was doing and how people were coming. And, and you know, I, I love this because in verse 2, there's this little fact. He says, uh, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Jesus was speaking. People were coming, and it was shared, man. It wasn't. Just Jesus who was involved in being connected to these people. He had his disciples right there. And, and they were in, involved in those people's lives. As they came, as they were broken, as, as they were ready to, to find new life. And there was a revival going on. There were many people and it was exciting. And, and it was where you wanted to be. It was where the action was. Just like we want. We want every chair full. We want people excited about Christ. We want there to be an evidence of the Holy Spirit that cannot be denied. We want all of that, and we want to stay there. It's like going to Christian camp and staying there year-round. Be pumped, right? But here, here's the crazy thing. Jesus doesn't stay there. He actually heads out. And he goes to dangerous territory, places where he's probably not welcome, to the Samaritans. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but the basic fact is the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't like each other. And here's Jesus. He sets out through this land where he's not wanted, where he's not understood, where he is viewed as a bigot, as someone who would not dare talk to. Us because he's better than we are. And yet here's Jesus. And he stops at this well. Just think about how crazy this is. He leaves a revival, a, 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 a sure movement of God that's at work. And he goes somewhere, sits down by himself, and a woman comes out to draw water from the well. I mean, you guys are well familiar with this story. And he talks to her, and she's stunned for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you're a Jew, you don't talk to the Samaritans. Number two, if you're a woman and you're a guy, you don't talk either to a woman. She's both a Samaritan woman. She's an outcast in Jewish eyes. And yet Jesus takes the time to talk to her. It's pretty amazing stuff, actually, if you 
think about it. And she doesn't understand why he's even talking to her. And then he begins not only to talk to her, he begins to tell her things that he shouldn't know. Things he does that she would rather he not know. She wants to have the superficial talk. Well, let me tell you about the religion. Let me tell you about God and what's going to happen and about our faith. You know, good old church talks. But Jesus, he bypasses the superficial church talk and he directly says, um, yeah, you've had five husbands and now the guy you're living with is not your husband. And, and she's just like, what? What? You, you see, what's amazing is J Jesus didn't just talk to her. Jesus knew her. This is what we're called to. We're called to, you know, we often think, man, I got to, man, I got to, I got to, you know, see a hundred people come to Christ. I want that. <laughs> Do I? But what about, let's start with one. Jesus saw the one. Jesus was there. Jesus not only saw her. Jesus not only talked to her. Jesus knew her. And, and, and I love it. She, she begins, she listens to him. He's telling her this stuff that only God could know. And she talks about the Messiah. And, and look at uh, four, four, um, and I'll start at verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. He's going to clear up the muck, you know. Verse 26, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Changed everything. Her world changed completely in that moment. Jesus left the crowd, not that it was wrong to be in the crowd, not that it was wrong for there to be great revival, not that it was wrong that there were all these people. The point is, one person does matter. That neighbor next to you, that person that you become acquainted with, God lays someone upon your heart. You are to go. He is sending you to that person to love them. Uh, they all matter. I'll be honest with you. I, I thought I'm not going to share this. Then I thought just that man, but I will share this. We went to Walmart yesterday, and we were coming out of Walmart, and man, I saw this woman, and I was just thinking to myself, man, it would really help if she might brush her hair or care a little bit about her appearance. She wore this shirt that said "hot mess," and I thought, well, I see the mess. I certainly don't see the hot in all of this. But then I thought, but how does Jesus see her? You know? And, and then I thought, man, we're all broken. And, and somehow, as the church, we got to get back to seeing people. And, and not just walking by them. Um, hmm. One guy said, he said, we must never allow the church to become a bless me club. Here I am. You got an hour to bless me. Better be good. I want to be blessed. Listen, I, I want you to be blessed. We should all be blessed. 
but a blessing from God and the feeling we get at church is secondary to the primary purpose of gathering. We come together to be strengthened so we may go back out to infiltrate the world. He has divine appointments for us. Yeah, he, I, I believe he wants us here. Man, I think he wants more than us here. <laughs> he wants to fill a place up. But he also has somewhere for us to go once we leave this place. To infiltrate the world. Now, let me look at uh, three truths and ha- how we infiltrate this world. What we need to know. Three things. First, we need to know our position. Sobering stuff here, uh, verse 14 in John 17. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world doesn't get us. And when it's talking about the world, it's talking about the world system. Um, I, I watched a clip on YouTube the other day. I just remember the guy's last name is Robinson. I can't. Do you remember his first name? Calvin? Calvin Robinson? That sounds right. Calvin Robinson is studying to be a, a, a priest in the Church of England. And they denied his ordination because he believes traditional Christian values. The Church of England. He believes marriage is between a man and a woman. He does not believe that we should let go of basically what the church has believed the time of Christ until about 25 years ago. There's a cost. Now, and, and Calvin, he's not one of these guys. He's not chasing down those who disagree with him. But he has been cornered. And he has been told, you cannot be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and serve God's people if you don't agree with us, which is in disagreement with what the Bible clearly teaches. Uh, it's a world system. It's not, you know, the big ball we live on. It's a system of beliefs and ideas that are in opposition to Jesus. And it is a world that we need to be aware of that we are in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it tells us that Satan, who's the god of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They they don't understand. They can't see. Uh, They're described as blind. And and so what is our heart? What is our goal here? Um, It is that we need to remember that although this world is precious, this world does matter, what we are seeking is beyond this world. We want to do the best we can in this world. We want to make this world a better place. But what we understand as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that this world is broken because of the entrance of sin. And and so it has been depraved. People are not who they are meant to be. Things are not as they are meant to be. And our job is to preach the power of the cross about the redemptive work of God. God doesn't want to throw away anything. God doesn't want to throw away people. God doesn't even want to throw away this place. He wants to redeem. He wants to restore. That is the heart of God. That's the heart of God. Secondly, um, 
not only are, uh, do we need to know who we are, but we also um, need to prepare. We need to prepare for that. And we do that by, of course, being people who have convictions, who believe in Christ and who follow Christ, and we grow in that. Look at verse 15. He says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. Then he goes on. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And he proclaims, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, just being like in, you're in outer space, you've got to have a spacesuit because you're not made to make it up there without a spacesuit. And we're not made to make it here without God's word. Without a firm foundational belief in Jesus Christ. We don't survive spiritually. And we often treat faith like it's a playground instead of a battleground. And, and guys, we are locked in a battle. The only offensive weapon in the spiritual armor of God in Ephesians 6 is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And everything else, this is, we're just standing. We're just standing firm. But if we're going to move forward, we need the sword of the Spirit in order to do that. And, and, and third, there's not going, um, we've got to be going. We've got to step out. Verse 18, he prays, You sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. So we're called to go. In the end, man, you need to know your position, who you are. You need to grow, but eventually you need to go. You don't just come to church and we don't just, you know, hold hands, sing kumbaya and everything's wonderful and, you know, just bless me and boy, I'm blessed and all that and not go. Gotta go. We have to, we're called to infiltrate the world. So what are some reasons we're in the defensive at times in the church? Number one, um, we isolate. You know, these are people, I just go to the monastery, hang out, I don't want, I just want to be away from the world. And, and you know, as a preacher, we all have days. Uh, there's some days, man, I would don't want to get out of bed, just, you know, stay under the cover and call it a day. Just, you know, isolate. But not only do we isolate, sometimes we insulate. What's that mean? I gotta, I gotta, man, it's dangerous out if I make friends with an unbeliever, I don't know what that might do to me. They're going to be asking for money and stuff. They're going to really mess my life up. If I, if, you know, if, you know, how, how you know, they might hurt uh, not only me, but people that I love. And Look, ministry is messy, okay? When we follow God and step out, He never said it was going to be convenient or safe, even. So we insulate... Uh, th a third response is to vegetate. That just means, who cares, man? Okay, Sarah, Sarah, right? I mean, just let it go, let it flow. Man, we're not to isolate, insulate, or vegetate. Or then, fourthly, just imitate. Ah, don't even fight it. Just be like the world. Go the path of least resistance much easier to ask permission, I mean, to ask forgiveness than permission. If you ask permission, they're going to say, no, they'll forgive you later. 
I say all of that, it leads us, you know, reasons we're in the defensive, you know, to isolate, to insulate, and vegetate, and, and you know, and imitate, but we're called to infiltrate. Salt has to get out of the shaker. You know, the, we need to slide out from under the bowl so that it can shine. And we are called to be out there, guys. Listen to this. Uh, this is a quote from a, a book I read. Lit, live churches' expenses always exceed their income. Dead churches take in more than they ever dreamed of spending. Live churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship the past. Live churches focus on people. Dead churches focus on programs. Live churches dream great dreams of God. Dead churches relive nightmares. Live churches don't have Kent in their dictionary. Dead churches have nothing but. And you know, I thought, guys, um, of Jesus' words back, back in this first sermon on the church I preached in Matthew 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it or prevail against it. Think about a gate. When you charge a gate, you're not trying to escape. You're on the offensive. You're trying to get inside. The church is not meant to be a fortress. It's not meant to be a museum. So gates of hell can't prevail, which means we're supposed to be headed that what? We're supposed to charge into hell? Well, in a real sense, people who are imprisoned by sin, people who are broken, people who are shattered, people who have no hope, they're the ones that are in prison. They're on the other side of that gate. And, and we're called. We're, we're called to go there. And in a very real sense, guys, um, all of us, because we're made in the image of God, have a desire to salvage and to restore uh, the people who want to save the earth, you know, the environmentalists who are working overtime to restore our planet. Being made in God's image, there is a desire to salvage and um, to restore and to save the planet. And, and there are people who are homeless and people who are drug addicts and people who are broken and there's all, you know, kinds of, uh, organizations that that try to help those people why because from our creator it made in god's image we understand that there needs to be um salvaging there needs to be restoration um we want world peace our efforts for peace and restoration all of that because we're made in his image we know that's what is right but here's the deal our efforts are far insufficient our efforts are weak and they are partial and only God can really make things right. Only God can bring full forgiveness and only God will one day restore the heavens and the earth as it's meant to be. That it'll be made right through the power of our God through Jesus Christ. That's coming. So we've got demonstrating God's glory. We've got communicating God's truth. We've got infiltrating God's world. And one last one, we are called to be the church that emulates God's love. Uh, look with me at verse 20 of, of 
John 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. What does he, he say over and over? I, I'm just going to read uh, parts of some verses. Jesus tells them, I'm not, I will remain in the world no longer. But they're still in the world. He says, I'm coming to you, Father, but protect them. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. In verse uh, 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. He says, I also pray for those who will believe. That's us. And then what does he say? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Why? That they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Four times, guys, he talks about unity. He talks about being one. He talks about a specific type of agreement. You see, when Jesus prayed for the church, he didn't pray for our safety. Well, keep them safe. Don't let them get hurt. Um, make sure they have good health. They don't have to battle with any of that. Make sure they're successful. Or make sure they're happy. None of that. He says, make sure they're one. Make sure they're united. And unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we agree about everything. We don't all love the same kind of music. I mean, let's face it. In churches, some people sprinkle, some people stick you all the way under to baptize you. I mean, there's different viewpoints, different kinds of music. Some people like the piano and organ. Some people like guitar and drums. Some people don't like any instruments. There are all these non-essentials that we don't have to agree upon to be family, to belong together in Christ. You have the apostles who, you know, they got in an argument of who's the greatest. Right? And then you had Peter and Paul that got in an argument about what's really required to, to be saved. And then in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council got together and there was an argument there. And then you come, of course, to the classic argument between Paul and Barnabas. But they were all believers. They just didn't see eye to eye on some things that they were working through. Guys, we, we don't, it doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we agree about everything. As a matter of fact, in unity, there is diversity. I don't want everybody to be a clone of one another. I am grateful for our differences because our differences make us stronger for the cause of God. Welcome to the church. All the kids are different. You got some fuzzy fundamentalists. You got some crazy charismatics. You got some reformed. You got some deformed. You got some pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. You got amillennialists, premillennialists, post-millennialists. Some prefer stained glass windows, candles, organs, hymns. <laughs> Others rock it out. But we're still God's people. So what's the source of the unity? It, it, it's not that we are in complete agreement on every detail. The source of unity is based on what we see as truth, in particular, Jesus Christ. Who Jesus Christ is and why Jesus Christ came. 
and why we needed him to come. Those are the elements that bring us together. There are things we may disagree upon, but what we cannot disagree upon is that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior came. He is Jesus Christ. That is what makes us family. Listen to verse 8. He says, um, For I gave them the words which you gave me, and they have accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me, for they are yours. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Our unity is based upon Christ. If you don't believe Jesus Christ is sent from the Father to pay for your sins, we ain't family. Now, there's a lot of things I'm going to, well, we can disagree about, but I ain't giving up on that one. (laughs) You might be a neighbor, you might be a nice guy or gal, but you're not family. There are certain things we call essentials Others we call non-essentials. St. Augustine, it it said, In essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. But Jesus Christ is essential. If we get rid of a need for salvation, if we get rid of atonement, if we get rid of the fact that Jesus is a Savior that has come to rescue us, deliver us from our sins, why do we meet? I don't want to become one of these churches, Unitarian churches that, well, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a good man. I'm not going to come up here and... No. We, We have to... There does come a place where the line has to be drawn. And that line is, is Jesus Christ. Verse 21, he says, That they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. When we begin to bicker, when we begin to fight, when we begin to disagree, we must go back to what we agree upon, the truth. Verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is the word. The word points to Christ. When we have those arguments, we need to remember what holds us together. It is Christ. He is the one that holds us together. He is the one. He is the one while we're here. That's why we're here. Paul Bilheimer wrote these words. The continuous widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of ages. You know, we talk about church scandals, right? The continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all the other sins combined. Men, why are we arguing about non-essentials? Why do we get caught up in what ultimately doesn't really matter? It's just my preference. You know? Why? When people need Christ. 
We need to bring him glory. We need to communicate his word. We need to infiltrate the world. And with what message? That we are unified that Jesus is the answer to this mess. That Christ is the one that we turn to. May we never become an experimental prototype city of tomorrow. May we be the church. The church. I don't know how God may have spoken to you, but I, I, I just make a plea as we sing and then have a time of, of invitation and response. Maybe God has spoken to you through these messages on the church. Are you the church? Do you want to be the church? Has God convicted you of, of what it means to be the church and what may need to change in order to fulfill that command and that call to follow Christ and be the church? Let's pray. God, um, here we are, Lord. We don't want to play games. Uh, Lord, we're asking you to deal with us straight like you did the woman at the well to cut through the religious jargon and, Father, to just ask, what is keeping me from being yours? What is allowing me to play church instead of me being the church? God, I just pray you move among us in this time, um, Lord. Because, Father, we don't want to keep playing church, Lord. Move. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.